We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and we're back with another episode, and this time... We are going to be discussing the plan for the NBA to return pre-Christmas and how that could affect the Hornets. Uh, Before we get started, though, we wanted to remind you guys that we'd really appreciate it if you guys could take the 30 seconds out of your day to rate our podcast on Apple Podcast. Uh, We can't stress how much that goes into getting our pod more exposure. But with that out of the way, we have Spencer, who is back. Spencer, uh, without boring our listeners, how has your first couple of uh, weeks as a dad been? Oh, there's nothing boring about it, Richie. Uh, anybody that's a dad out there or a mom will understand that, but uh, it's been good. Got my first night of like eight plus hours of un- uninterrupted uh, sleep last night, thanks to a family member that came over. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I could go on about a bunch of things. What it really is, though, is a survive in advance. I mean, each day <laughs> is its own day, and each night is its own night, and you get through it, and you, you get on to the next one. So but it's, I, I, it's awesome. I feel like you're going to have your best podcast ever. This is your Fred Van Vliet moment. Your Mike yeah. Conley moment. This is you. You got your dad's strength and it's fusing with your, your pod strength. And, uh, and, and yeah, we're going to get an all timer. I think from Spencer here today. I didn't even think about, uh, that factor, Brian. I, I now I'm, now I'm going to fall flat here. So you just <laughs> it. it was going to be great. Now it's going to fall flat. Yeah. I just saved that for after. Yeah. My bad. So, Brian, it actually looks like you're recording from a, a different backdrop today. Tell the listeners where you're recording from. Yeah, this is uh, beautiful Black Mountain, North Carolina. Um, up here for a few days doing some work and also taking uh, a few days off to get outside and, and hike around a little bit before basketball season 
uh, get started again. So yeah, for, for those listening outside of the state, Black Mountain's close to Asheville, but very pretty up here. Leaves of, of uh, started to change colors and uh, some really good places I'm looking forward to going on hikes around up here. Yeah, I wish I was an outdoorsy person. Like, I mean, I love the scenery and the outside, but I just yeah. not an outdoorsy type of person. Uh, I'm not like a big camper, but I do like to hike. But but I feel like most of my friends love to camp, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'd rather just stay. I'd rather sleep in in a bed inside. But right. I do love to go on hikes, though. Totally with you. Yeah, I like to hike too, and it always seems like one of those things that it's on my. I need to do more of this, and it's just like perpetually on that list that I yeah. don't get to it enough, but. Good stuff. Good for you. Perfect time of year to be up there. All right. We're going to go ahead and jump into the relatively new announcement that the NBA is targeting a December 22nd start date. Uh, At the time of this recording, uh, this piece of news isn't really officially official as the NBPA would still have to sign off on this. Uh, Also mentioned in this report is that the NBA prefers a 72-game schedule so they can end around their normal schedule which would also allow the NBA players to participate in the 2021 Olympics, uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, But I think we should start by giving our kind of initial thoughts to this news. To me, it was a bit of a shock uh, that they're pushing this pre-Christmas date. I thought Christmas at the earliest, but really I was kind of anticipating actually sometime in January. I was never one that actually thought, though, that it would be like a a mid-February, late-February start date. I just think that was just too far back into the schedule that you would normally start your NBA schedule. But this does feel a little bit ambitious, but from a financial standpoint, guys, it's just too logical for the NBA to start as soon as possible with the way that the previous season ended, uh, just with the uncertainty of the future. It just makes too much dollars, too much sense for them not to start this thing as soon as possible and they've already lost ticket revenue, right? And, uh, and they're going to lose ticket revenue moving forward. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I understand why they're pushing this date, but I just was never expecting it. And two, like another point in terms of like the calendar, like you don't want the NBA calendar too far off from where it was or where it is supposed to be, especially when it coincides with the college season and all that and how that can affect things down the road. Um, Spencer, I've got other thoughts on this, but that was just kind of my gut instinct when this news came out. What are your, what were your initial thoughts when you heard this? Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, like you said, surprise, just from standpoint of like, whoa, that's uh, let's check the calendar here. That's less than two months away. So that is a bit of a shock to the system, but I mean, just like most things in this world, it's, it's purely financial. Um, you know, the NBA estimates that they can generate an extra 500 million by starting on the 22nd you know, getting the Christmas Day games in, playing a 72-game schedule and, you know, and playing the entire playoffs, that uh, that that's what's going to get this done, right? Like players, certain players especially, can be very unhappy about this, and I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic to that, but at some point we got to get the league back on track from a, from a revenue and financial standpoint, and um, I understand that's going to – you know, come with some physical and mental health, uh, and, and, you know, and, and family, uh, health, um, challenges, but you know what, these are, we've never been in times like this. These are novel times. And, and so those, those kind of extraordinary circumstances take some extraordinary sacrifices. And I think that's what the players are going to have to understand here. And that, and that's going to be hard for certain ones, but I'm pretty confident this gets done as crazy as it sounds. It's definitely ambitious, but I, I think they're going to get this done and probably, by the end of the week, uh, if not very close, I think the 30th was that pushback deadline uh, that the players' association in the in the league kind of decided. So, it's 
um, I was reading Hollinger's piece on the athletic. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose when that moratorium is lifted. It's <laughs> yeah. going to get busy fast. Yeah, it's going to be crazy just because, you know, the draft kept getting pushed back so that it could be synced up with free agency, you know, ahead of the next season. And now there's going to be such a compressed timeline because you've got the draft November 18th. You've got training camp probably opening up. December 1st. So you've got literally less than two weeks uh, with Thanksgiving in the middle of all of that and the college season starting around that time too, which is something that front offices have to take into account from a scouting perspective. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of moving parts at the same time. Um, I am, it's, I keep, I feel like I've said this just a lot in general this year about everything, but I'm surprised and I'm not at all surprised. Like the financial gain is just so significant. And it, you know, now that it does seem like they're going to start before Christmas, it's like they were going to do whatever it, it took to not give up those Christmas games. I mean, that, that is like, that is sacred real estate for the NBA. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, again, all of which tie back into uh, the, the almighty dollar, I guess, for them as well. But, you know, even a week ago, if you had asked me, I would have said no way. Like Martin Luther King Day in, in January, like that's the earliest start. But I'm not surprised this is going on. The cash incentive, the ability to try to like sort of recenter the calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this ties back into you know, uh, the bubble starting back up, like not delaying that season until uh, the fall, like actually trying to get the bubble in place to finish that season so that they could then get the clock started on the 2021 season. So I think those things, you know, are tied together. I'm kind of surprised to hear the Olympics, the 2021 Olympics brought up so frequently within discussions to the NBA calendar. Like I get it. There are a lot of guys that, that want to play for their, for their home country, team USA, anywhere around the world. But even when they were discussing the restart calendar for the 1920 season, they were sort of trying to factor in, you know, how, how would the Olympics would play into that as well too. And, and as those got pushed back to 2021, so I'm, I'm like, I'm a little surprised that there's any sort of like real coordination between those two entities. But um, I suppose that's a, that's a mistake on, on my part, but yeah, no, I guess this does allow the league to, get back to a semi-normal calendar going forward, especially for the 21-22 season. So I get it from that perspective, but, man, it is super ambitious. And to your point, Brian, I'm not even sure these NBA players are even thinking about the Olympics right now, considering if they're going to have to go on short rest here, especially the teams that obviously that made the playoffs. And, I mean, just just play the college kids. I mean, I think the Olympics have kind of – yeah, the Olympics have kind of lost its appeal in in a certain sense. But, man, like the feasibility of this, guys, they're they're trying to get 72 games in out of this, and they also are saying they prefer in-market games and and not a bubble. Mm -hmm. So just try to kind of put this in perspective. Most teams by mid to late December have already played 30 games. So that means they have 50 games left on the calendar. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NBA is trying to get 72 games from that point onward um obviously the schedule might be pushed back a little bit but again they're, they're trying to keep it in the same ballpark and i guess the good thing is i guess you call it a good thing they're, they're not going to try to do an all-star weekend which is going to give you some flexibility there but man right. the, the feasibility of how this is going to work and the travel like there's clearly a whole lot more details that will have to come out on this but it may even feel like 
the MLB in a sense where they might have to play teams multiple times in a row to cut down on that travel. But man, I can only imagine how taxing this is going to be on the players, uh, especially um, the, just like the sacrifices that they'll have to make uh, moving forward in this, uh, this upcoming season. So it, it feels like that kind of scheduling is going to have to make sense for college basketball this season too, right? Playing yeah. like the same team consecutively, like, you know, trying to get as many games in with that opponent as you can before moving on, cycling through to the next person or the next team, I should say. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I really think that you'll probably end up seeing some Western conference games against Eastern conference, but it's going to be a lot fewer. And that's going to be a topic when we get mid season about the playoffs, you're just going to hear as if the East versus West playoff discussion isn't always hyped up. Um, yeah. It's going to be exacerbated this year because the East is going to play more games against the East than they typically would. I think you're just Charlotte's not going to go out and play LA teams twice, right? It, yeah. it's, that's not going to happen. Um, and I would be surprised if teams from the East coast fly out to the West coast at all, you know? So it's, it's going to be interesting. It is, it is crazy that we've hit this part where, you know, in the middle of March, the the Rudy Gobert Oklahoma City incident happens and the league shuts down um, and goes in separate ways for four months and then all of the precautions and financial investments that went into the bubble and make, making sure it was airtight and as possible and like had all these layers mm-hmm. just the the financial investment and the thought exercises that went into that. It's crazy in my, like, I'm not surprised. Again, I'm not surprised they're trying to come back in December. I understand the motivations for them wanting to do that, um, which we sort of just ran through, but it is, man, it's just a weird mixed message in my opinion from how the league was trying to operate for the majority of 2020 post coronavirus, um, you know, really becoming a a factor to how they're going to try to restart the next season. And um, I don't know. It's a little bit of cognitive dissonance, I feel like, between those two. But uh, I don't know what else to think, say. I think it's, it's just a little inconsistent and weird, but yeah. I, I do understand why they're doing it. I think it's worth mentioning, too, the NHL is looking at it like a very similar model in terms of just moving up their season. And I mean, this all goes back to, like, there's just no path to coronavirus not being in our lives until mm-hmm. next fall. Like, there's just even if there was a vaccine that, that he attempted to hit the market, there's only going to be a, a certain amount of the population going to be willing to take it. So the league is just saying we have to protect the 21, 22 schedule. We, mm-hmm. we have to protect that schedule because there's a chance by then everything could normalize. Like we could be back to normal. We can get the gate receipts on top of the TV revenue. So what we have to do now is we have to get every penny of TV revenue out of this coming season that's possible. And the only way to do that and satisfy those regional TV deals, which are the most important, um, if every team's going to get a bite of the cake here, is to start now and get those Christmas games in. So it's um, – man, there's going to be a lot of information over the next four weeks. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's going to be almost way too much to take in because there's going to be a lot of unhappy campers in the NBA. And if I remember correctly, too, from our discussions involving the restart, I think 72 is like right at – that benchmark number for a lot of those regional sports TV deals um, that satisfy the obligation between the team and and the, you know, the media network or what a media company. So that number is not random either. Right. Right. Um, The the 72 number total that that's been thrown out there, there is a there again, there's a financial reason for that as well. 
Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Before we move on to the, the side with the Hornets and maybe how this could affect them, do you guys have any suggestions on how to make this run smoother. Um, you know, Spencer, you mentioned maybe not having teams fly out to the West Coast, but any one, any suggestions you want to throw out there, you know, if you were a part of the decision-making process here to kind of make this thing run smoother? I, I mean, I, I would just, I don't know if like regional bubbles is the right word, but I think like if, you know, I've heard a lot of talk and you've read a bunch of stuff about like, well, if you, you know, if, we, if the Hornets, if Charlotte flies to Cleveland, for example, and just go ahead and play two or three games in mm-hmm. Cleveland, whatever the schedule says should be done. But I, I would say try to get four teams um, in, in however many different sites that is and play around Robin for however long that is. I mean, anything you can do to decrease the probability of something happening like the NFL has experienced in the MLB to a smaller extent. I mean, I'm kind of surprised the NFL has made it this far to be honest with you um, because yeah. they're flying across the country. And I mean, it, it, I mean, they're not trying to cut down the probability t- too much. So I, the NBA has those things to learn from. Um, and I think the more teams they can get in one location for, a, for, you know, four days, five days a week, um, and play as many games as possible. I think the better. And then you it's, and you still allow these teams and these players to get home to their families and get and get home to like that's the part I think the human part that the NBA is going to have the toughest time fulfilling is these these guys are not going to go for a bubble setting again and they should no no but how do we keep them in one place get as many games as possible in and also get these guys home to their families as much as possible. That part is going to be really difficult, I think. Yeah, it's going to be tough because there were some some of the aspects of what made the bubble work when you when you took a step back and looked at it. They were they were sort of harsh if you're looking at coaches and players as 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 human beings, which they are, right? Like coaches' families could not come to the bubble, right? This is something that Mike Malone um, had, had strong comments on uh, during the bubble, and so. 
yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's going to be tough because the, while the NBA certainly built up some equity with the success of the bubble, and, and I'm sure they're going to be, it's going to be a lot of the same people that are going to be collaborating to to figure out like how the NBA is going to do this 72 game season now. Um, you know, there there are going to be some tough decisions at play because so much is going to be centered on building as many layers as you possibly can. But there's going to be way more moving parts because it's not going to be in a controlled environment like the bubble. Um, so yeah, they're going to, it's going to be, they're, they're really going to be sort of like running on a razor's edge here with a timeline that is um, accelerated to, to say the least here. Spencer O'Brien, do you guys think there's any potential that you mentioned the MLB Spencer, that the NBA takes the route of where they're not playing every team in, in the league and they just kind of have a set number of teams that they play against and they, you, maybe you pick teams that are in close proximity to you to kind of limit the travel time? Or do you think that just creates too much of an imbalance when it comes to scheduling? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think that a lot of things are in play when you try to answer that, things that we don't have the answer to. Like I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. is Fox Sports Southeast, you know, can you fulfill that TV contract if if the Lakers and the Clippers and LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard are, are not in front of your viewers, you know, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's deep in the weeds, but it matters if this is a financial decision of why we're doing this. But yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a possibility the Western conference plays the Western conference and the Eastern conference plays the Eastern conference. And we repeat the bubble again, you know, next, next fall or whatever it is. So, or mm-hmm. excuse me in the summer. I mean, I, I think that is, an outside possibility. And I think that if there's a league that would do something like that again, to decrease the probability of a spread and a repeat of the Rudy Gobert situation, I think the NBA would be the league that would do that. It's a really, that's a good answer. And it's a really good question too, Richie. I think at the end of the day, there's certainly a good chance for uh, the, you know, a schedule that looks that has a little less balance on average than a normal 82 game NBA schedule because they just want inventory, right? Like the owners in the league, they want they want inventory for for TV uh, to to sell to, to you know to pitch to the networks and to be able to sell to advertisers. So they just want the inventory. Um, but Spencer brought up a great point, which is that if 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 that inventory has less LeBron James in it, or less some of the you know less Chris Paul or Kevin Durant or whatever. Um, it, I, I don't know. Is it as valuable, even if it's the same, even if it's sort of hitting the same, you know, required numbers right. because of actual televised products? I, I could correct. I could be wrong here, but I don't think all these TV contracts are made equal. I Probably think that not. the small markets need the firepower. Mm-hmm. They need the LeBron mm-hmm. James games in there, and if you don't have those, I think that negotiation becomes. I think it. I mean, if I'm on the TV side the conversation changes now. Yeah. If I know I'm not going to have those guys. So, but we'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah. I guess I don't really think about the TV side when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, but like that would be my one suggestion to try to make it mimic the MLB schedule as much as possible and keep those teams in close proximity, even if it did create some kind of like schedule imbalance there. So. And, and just like side note as well, like those regional sports networks right now, like this is outside. Now we're going outside of coronavirus, you know, how that impacts the NBA. Like you can't get Fox sports regional networks on YouTube TV right now. Correct. Or Hulu or Hulu. Or Hulu. So right. like yep. they've got two months to figure that out too. I mean, that, that was like a, there was a, a minor scare with that during this most recent season. Yep. And then, 
uh, they were able to come to an agreement between YouTube TV and, and I guess Sinclair is, you know, the owner of all of a lot of these regional sports networks, but like the, all of a sudden that, that gets fact that gets baked into this cake now too, because that is another existential threat here of some kind. And one thing I will say, not that it solves the imbalance of my suggestion with scheduling, but I do love how the NBA is still keeping that play in um, option open for that eighth and ninth seed. So if there's some kind mm-hmm. of discrepancy there, uh, you know, the ninth seed might argue that their schedule was harder and then maybe they could get into the playoffs regardless. So I do think that's pretty cool that they're kind of including that as a possible potential option Mm -hmm. moving forward. Now, let's go over to the Charlotte Hornets side of things. And this news of the abbreviated offseason, a lot of people argue that it hurts the playoff teams and the teams that obviously made it farther within the bubble. But I think maybe you could also make the argument that it hurts a team like Charlotte who has not been able to play with these players, you know, side by side uh, under game environment. So, Brian, do you have a strong feeling either way on this, if this abbreviated off-season, off-season hurts Ooh. or helps Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, I think it can, I, I don't, um, because I think it can split a couple of different ways. Um, you know, it does get the, it does get the team back on the court sooner, and we just, we heard how many times, especially early in the bubble, or when it really seemed like the, you know, the second bubble wasn't going to happen, you could hear some of the teams that weren't able to be a part of the NBA's restart, including the Hornets, were frustrated, right? Because they were saying, well, it's going to be nine months before we can get these young guys back out on the court. So they do, they will be able to get those guys back on the court, you know, maybe a month before they thought they were going to as recently as like a week or so ago. So there's that aspect of it. Uh, the, the Hornets are a team that has cap space Mm -hmm. um but that can cut so many different ways now too because uh depending on where they end up setting the cap where they end up sending the tax line like that's going to have ramifications between how much money could get paid back to a team like the hornets um how much how much space they'll actually have to be to either go out and try to sign a free agent or two or to you know allow that space to be rented out in exchange for assets um so it it, i don't know It, it I think there are pros and cons, um, but it's just going to be hard to map out a lot of this stuff because everything's going to be happening so quickly. Like they have three draft picks um, coming in on the 18th of November and then free agency will start, you know, I guess right after that. So I don't know. I I feel like there's a chance where um, I guess you could also look at it this way, which is that if more teams need to shed salary, depending on where they said, the cap and the tax line at, then perhaps the Hornets is a team that has space. They become more, even if they have less of it, maybe they become a little more valuable because there are more teams that are looking to, to get off salary. Um, so maybe that's another added bonus, but I think this is going to be a lot of a hard, hard work ahead. And, and I'm not sure if it really, there are a whole lot of advantages here for a, you know, for a small market team like like small a young small market team like Charlotte. Yeah, I don't I don't have a strong feeling either way on this either Brian. I I think you could make the argument that, that obviously Charlotte is well rested, is in a better position um, you know, physically than some of these teams that have made these late playoff runs, but by the same token they do have less talent. Uh, we'll have gone close to what 10 months without actually playing a game together. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the point of, you know, maybe teams trying to shed salary. Spencer, wouldn't they have to have the salary cap in place prior to the draft? Not even before like free agency. They, they need to have this, you know, ready to go before the draft, right? Oh, yeah. 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 The moratorium is going to have to lift uh, before. I mean, because 
teams are going to want to make trades before the draft Correct. or should at least have the opportunity to. It shouldn't only yeah. be draft by trade. So, yeah, the cap's got to be set. The tax has got to be set. That matters to the Hornets. You know, if the tax comes down, that's bad news for a team like the Hornets because they're a non-tax-paying team. So, right. so the more tax dollars there are, they, they, they get – the chunks mm-hmm. of those pie. There's only four, four teams in the league right now. They're going to get chunks of that, of that tax money. So they're hoping that stays up. I, I think both you guys uh, said it right. I mean, I think this, this does cut, cut both ways. The one set thing I would say about Charlotte though, to hold them accountable is there's no excuse for them not to be prepared. Um, mm-hmm. I, the basketball side of it, the on court part, that's different. All right. Mm-hmm. It can be super ugly when we start playing games on the 22nd for Charlotte and nobody should really be that surprised. Um, but in terms of what happens this offseason, um, I would, I would, uh, it would not be a good look for Charlotte if they swung and missed on free agency and the draft more than they hit, right? Because they've had <laughs> 10 months here to pour their resources into preparation. Now there's another side of that, that when the moratorium does lift and transactions do begin, yes, Charlotte's a cap space team. They can take on bad contracts. There's going to be more teams that are looking to dump salary, I would think, than before all this because yeah. of financial concerns. But when this stuff starts happening, it's going to happen really, really, really fast. So if you're not prepared uh, and know when Indiana calls and they're like, we got Miles Turner, we want to dump him, we'll attach a first-round pick, What you know? I'm just throwing out something dumb. Right. Um, take it or leave it right now. i got to get on the other line. You better be <laughs> ready because those opportunities are now going to come and they're going to go quicker because there's less time. So – yeah, so you guys have said it. I mean, it cuts both ways. But again, Charlotte has no excuse. They should be prepared here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sped up off season, but they've had plenty of time to prepare for all these different types of scenarios. And maybe I'm overthinking this when it comes to restricted free agents. But I wonder if teams will be less likely to throw out offer sheets for restricted free agents uh, this off season because of that like 48 hour wait period. I know it's just two days, mm-hmm. but it just feels like in that sped up off season, you know, you don't have time to think and, and wait like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean. I just think, and this kind of goes back to like the Christian Wood take I had a month and a half ago or whatever. I just, to me, giving that guy $15 million a year, whatever, I'm just throwing out a number. Mm-hmm. That's not such a bad contract to me. I don't I don't really know what the value is of Charlotte's 21 cap space when there's 12 or 13 other teams, possibly many more. Yeah. They're just going to be, like, they're going to be so far in the background. Mm-hmm. I think there's actually more of an opportunity to, for them to spend wisely this summer. I'm not talking about Serge Ibaka or, yeah. you know, Danilo Gallinari, somebody that doesn't line up with, with the, the age timeline, but a guy like Christian Wood or Malik Beasley throwing them maybe a little bit more than the experts would say the market demands for a small market like Charlotte, when they're one of four in the whole league that can, that can spend that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think you can look at that and immediately say terrible deal. It's not fair because yeah. Charlotte's it's not going to matter next summer when they have more cap space than any other team in the league, because none of those top 10 guys are coming here. So yeah. I would strike now, or at least think about it. They have some buyer's power for sure, because they have, they have the space right now. And so, yeah, you, you name uh, Christian Wood. Uh, I think there are a few other names that you could, you could sling around. Um, but you know, maybe even dip your toe into the restricted free agent pool. Um, because maybe you can afford to, to have a little of that space sort of, uh, perhaps, um, compromised periodically or temporarily. Um, so and there are some interesting restricted free agents. I don't, I don't see the Hornets necessarily being a player for someone like Bogdanovich in Sacramento, but I, cause I mentioned the Kings will try to bring him back, but, um, you don't know, I guess. Um, so 
Yeah, I it's I think I think there are some interesting things Charlotte can do because a guy like Christian Wood is also like if you bring if you bring Christian Wood in, he's going to make you better offensively, which they could certainly use that. He fits the age timeline, and also like I don't think it's going to make you like take you out of the lottery, you know. Which I still think that Charlotte well, needs to be focused on getting another. Uh, you know, another chance, you know, trying to win the lottery, get a high lottery pick in 2021. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it could still be viewed, if you give Christian Wood $15 million a year over however many years, it can still be viewed as asset accumulation. He's a young guy. You can definitely trade that contract down the road. you got to lean on your development staff. But here's the deal. Charlotte's ability to use their cap space in a, in a, in a salary dump kind of move comes next off season. So if they sign a free agent uh, with most of their cap space this year, you have them under contract next year. Even if you also get the Devonte extension done, you still have over $50 million in cap space next off season. So as soon as the moratorium lifts and we get ready to go to draft and this, this grand, uh, 21 free agent class starts. Do you know how many teams are be looking to dump money? Then that's when you strike with a deal like that to me. And this team will still not to Brian's point will still not be winning enough games to be considered a yeah. playoff team. They're still going to be in the lottery. So, so I think this summer holds some, holds some water uh, in terms of free agency. Yeah. As of right now, Charlotte only has about 41 and a half million dollars guaranteed on the books for 21, 22. Now, uh, there's plenty of other stuff tied up in, in holds and potential, you know, you know, an, an extension with uh, Malik Monk or something like that. But right now, yeah, they're going to have acres of space. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not bad to see fitting in a, a, a good player, especially someone that fits the timeline on a contract. I, you know, I don't know if Wood is interested in Charlotte, but um, yeah, I think he's a, he's an interesting possibility for, especially because you know Charlotte's gonna be, it's gonna be tough for them to be a player uh, in free agency with this loaded class next year. The only other thing I would add is when we talk about free agency, th- where Charlotte can go wrong is is what I mentioned earlier is that spending to like truly quote unquote win now, which would be you know Serge Ibaka or Danilo Gallinari. I'm probably missing a name. Like uh, spending money on a guy that's over the 30 year old hump mm-hmm. would really be a head scratcher to me uh, and your kind of traditional MJ move. But it, I think a lot of people were surprised by the Al Jefferson signing um, a number of years ago that ended up working out pretty well for them. But I think that's the move right now that Charlotte really doesn't need. Um, so that, that's the last thing I would say about free agency. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I don't see any, any purpose in doing that kind of route with the free agency aspect here. So the NBA draft, November 18th, is less than a month away. Feels like we're starting to get a sense of who the Hornets will be drafting or at least who is going to be available in those those slots of players right there at the third overall pick. Brian, I, I hate to say this, but it feels like we can't count out Wiseman ending mm-hmm. up in Charlotte. It just feels like it's headed that direction or at least a strong possibility. Yeah, and and look, I, I mean, I think if you listen to this podcast, you sort of know where I, I stand on Wiseman. I don't think he's a, a great a great pick at three, but as I described it a couple months ago, if you do draft James Wiseman, it's not like the sky is falling. Like, I still think James Wiseman is like a rotation center in the NBA, and maybe if he taps into any of his potential, then you actually have something. Um, to be clear, I don't think Wiseman should be the pick at three. And 
I don't know, was the ringer reporting something or were they, were they just floating speculation that the Hornets would maybe try to move up to two to draft Wiseman? Like that would be insane. Um, it certainly I mean, was aggregate. It, it was certainly aggregated as a report. So yeah, sorry, like, keep going. That, no, just like it, that makes no sense to me, especially because like there's a strong possibility. If you really want Wiseman, he's at three moving up in this draft in any way, shape, or form, unless you're really doing it from a position of power, is a really bad idea. Like a team like the Celtics, I, I could I could see we told, we've discussed the possibility of them packaging some of these first round picks, and if there was a guy they really liked trying to move up for for those purposes. But for a team like Charlotte that's rebuilding um, and is trying to add as many of these pieces as they can, no, it makes no sense, especially if it's a a 2022 unprotected pick. Like that's a great asset. You're not trading that to move up one or two notches to draft James. Like that's just it's ludicrous. It's, 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 yeah. That's it's insane. No I can't yeah. believe that was floated out there, but that, actually that, I, I can't, I can't believe it. I think that, that could be the number one pick. You know what I mean? Like that, that literally could be the number one pick. It seriously could. Um, yeah. So I, no, there's just no way in, in planet earth you do that. If Wiseman's your guy and he's at three and they draft him, I look, I'm skeptical for so many reasons about that guy and, and I'll own those. But at the same time, like I've never come on here and said, I've never on this podcast said, you know, James Wiseman is bad or not a good prospect. Like, again, I think he's a guy that plays in the NBA for a long time and offers you a discrete set of skills that fit and could, could help Charlotte out. I just think there's more value at that number three pick, even if, LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards come off the board one, two in some order. I think Killian Hayes is a very strong prospect. I think there are a variety of other guys that I would be more comfortable with uh, at Wiseman at a variety of different slots in the draft too. So no, I, I think, look, I think there's also a chance that you could see ball or, or Edwards fall to three that that's sort of exciting. If, you know, if Edwards that I think maybe the more likely of those two to do that, but um, yeah, I guess I, I'm not surprised to see Charlotte and Wiseman linked together, but at this point it's tough to read like what's real and what's a smoke screen. Uh, because I mean, even, even if you look out West, you see golden state every other day, there's a new prospect that the warriors are circling. It was Obi Toppin yesterday. That, that's who the warriors are considering at, at number two. It's been Denny Avia. Yeah. Uh, it's been James Wiseman. It's been Yaka Okongwu. So like it, it, it's hard to it's tough, especially from the outside. It's tough to get like a good read on that. But, um, as long as the Hornets like, don't try to move up in this draft, especially when you have the number three pick, it's still like a good asset and you can get a good player, if not a great prospect with that pick. Yeah. My, my feeling is I actually don't think just my gut instinct, I would say like a less than five or less than 1% chance that Charlotte actually moves off of this pick in either direction, whether they go down or whether they go up with this pick. I just yeah. feel like they're going to stay right at three. You let the rumors fly around with golden state and it feels like even Minnesota might be shopping their pick, but you just, you just let those first two picks happen. If there's trades that occur, and to the point of the rumor about trading up two picks and also getting off a future asset, you know, the, the difference between the first overall pick and the third overall pick in this draft is just not that there's not a big enough gap for me to fall in love with someone to move up while also losing a future pick. And I get the sense that Ball, Edwards, or Wiseman are all in play for Mitch Kupchak. And he's always said that that talent acquisition is his top priority. Uh, but back to the point about Wiseman, where it feels like it just, 
I just get this sense that he's going to be there at three and then Charlotte's going to take him. To Brian's point, like I wouldn't be overly happy with Wiseman, but I feel like I'm starting to slowly, like like real slow, warm up to him as a possible pick. And maybe it's just me preparing for like the inevitable. But yeah, like I said, I, I do think there's a strong chance that Edwards falls at three and uh, Ball might be the only one that I don't think is going to be there, uh, whether Minnesota or Golden State drafts them or someone, you know, trades up to get them. So mm-hmm. I'm warming up to the idea of Wiseman, but it's probably more out of the fact that I feel like it's inevitable. I'm hoping that Edwards falls to number three. Yeah, it's just such an obvious draft to where you wait, see what the best player available is. It falls to three. To Richie's point, don't get too excited about trading, even trading down. Draft the most tradable player, right? Like lean on your player development. Get him in the house. Even if you don't think he's going to be a part of your long-term future, get him in here, develop a little bit. You can always trade him after the draft. So I'm afraid, obviously, because it's my natural inclination as a Hornets fan uh, about this, you know, moving up to draft James Wiseman and and giving up an unprotected future pick. Um, But at the same time, I think this is a classic, you know, national media. I don't think many of them are plugged in here in Charlotte. I think there's a little bit of animosity depending on which national media personality it is. And they're just the easy punching bag sometimes. And now that they have the third pick and this is a draft where it seems everybody in the top four wants to trade out, Charlotte's the dumb team that's going to trade up, right? Like this is just kind of classic stuff to me. So wouldn't read too much into it. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, Wiseman, it is what it is. I'm not real excited about it if it happens. Uh, but Richie, yeah, you're just preparing yourself as a Hornets fan. That's what we do naturally. <laughs> <laughs> they just they had a good draft last year, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just I don't I don't understand why anyone would look at Charlotte and just assume that they wouldn't want to go into um, the next draft during you know this sort of fairly early stage in a rebuild, basically like 15 months into 18 months into a rebuild and just start lighting assets on fire so they can move up one spot in the draft to draft a guy that could absolutely be there at right, three, right. especially when they just, they've literally now had, and, and I look, I know Miles Bridges hasn't really worked out so well, but like they got Devonte Graham in 2018. Um, he's a pretty good basketball player, right? Like they've just, they've done well in the draft the last two seasons. They had a great draft in 2019. I just feel like it makes all the sense in the world this is to, to go into the draft. And we know that the number three pick isn't a, it's, this is not the best year to have the number three pick unless you're good at drafting, you know? And right now the, the Hornets have, have done some good things the last couple of years. And, and as with, with regards to the draft and I look 2018 is not perfect because, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander looks like a, a stud uh, in the making now in Oklahoma city and, and miles bridges is still sort of floundering, but like they got an extra asset out of that pick and that turned into Devonte Graham mm-hmm. and they went and got PJ Washington and Cody Martin and uh, McDaniels last year. So uh, then now they're going into this draft with three picks again. And, and one of them is a top three pick. So I, I just don't see why you would short circuit anything at this point. So no, I, I, I think they're yeah, and quickly to, you, you, you're doing well and you're, you're drafting well and you've got plenty yeah. of shots at the, you know, plenty of chances to, to, to add some good young pieces on great contracts this year. So why, why jump the gun on anything for a marginal gain? Yeah. And to the, to the point Brian was making a minute ago about the Shea Gilgis Alexander, that seemed like the wrong pick taking miles there, but Something that I think people forget sometimes, Kupchak did a nice job of fooling. Now, it's not going to maybe work out the way we envisioned, but 
he, he they floated out oh we love the hornets love sga that's all you heard for like three days leading up to the draft how much the hornets loved him and then they flipped that pick at the last seconds to get an extra asset mm-hmm. um when la took him so yes sga ended up being the you know the right player but i think the strategy there um is important to remember because i think it could be similar in this draft uh, it, i just you know, I feel like people forget that Kupchak actually did a little bit of a Houdini act uh, in that draft to get an extra asset with just a difference of a few picks. So I, I just, ah, this whole thing about trading up, I just, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I, I always go back to that Shea pick, and I wonder if, if the Hornets had traded Kimba when they probably should have, would they have kept Shea, or would they have targeted Shea and kept Shea because Kimba was on the roster at that point. So I, I do wonder that aspect of it. Let me ask you guys this quick question. Let's just say Golden State and Minnesota stay where they're at. Go ahead and give me month out top three picks in order. Go ahead, Brian. Shoot. Just go one, two, three. Uh, stay, let's see. They stay where they are. Um, we'll go. We're we're gonna go. Uh, Lamelo one, mm-hmm. Edwards two, Wiseman three. I guess. Although, yeah, although, man, I, I don't have... know. I don't know if Golden State would go Edwards, man. I, I don't but, think so. God, it's just it's just tough because like, I, I mean like, I, if I was picking one, two, three, which is not what you asked, right. I would go Lamelo, Killian, and Edwards, and <laughs> I feel very happy with either of those. I think those are I like all three of those guys a good bit. So I don't know, maybe Golden State really wants a really wants a, a five, um, and they they really like Wiseman or a Kongu. So, but I'll just strictly on on I think uh, I'll go Lamelo, Edwards, and, and Wiseman. Yeah, I, I would go. I would go Lamelo. Then I would go Wiseman, and I think Edwards. You know, a month out, obviously, there's a whole lot more rumors to come yeah. by, uh, and then Edwards falls to Charlotte at three. But again, I'm still inevitably be, thinking Wiseman. That would be a nice situation. That would be a. That would not be bad for that to happen. I I do agree with you guys. I think it goes Lamelo, Wiseman, Edwards. But I. I will not like there's no way golden state wants to pick any of those guys they want to trade this pick they're going to try as hard as they can to the very last second so i say that to say if they get down to the wire and they cannot trade that pick i do think they're probably going to draft a denny or a killian or or a tyrese halliburton somebody who can come in and help them right away i I do think they'll do that if they can't trade the pick yeah i could see that a kong I mean, he's, he's, another a, one. Yep. he's a, he's a, he's a, he gives him a, a dive guy at center too. I so. think Halliburton really helps them actually, maybe more than any of these. Like he can come in and play right now. And like I said, if they can't yeah. trade the pick and they get to the last second, I, th- I think they're just going to be like, look, our window is now. We got to take a player and come in and help us now. We, we're mm-hmm. trying to win a championship. So, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us for another buzz beat. We'd really do appreciate all the love and support you guys have been showing us recently. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.